0: You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. Today we are going to conclude our series on Dominion. And we've been in a uh, a subset of this series about theological understanding. So we've been walking through what does it look like? Uh, how do we... Um, read the Bible properly. How do we uh, interpret what the scriptures are saying properly? How do we make sure that we're allowing Scripture to interpret Scripture rather than us uh, reading into the text our own preconceived notions or ideas or views? And so today, I want to I want to wrap this entire series up, but in particular uh, this part of theological understanding. And we've been taking this from Second Timothy, where Paul uh, is encouraging Timothy in his last letter that he wrote. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And so we've been talking about what does it look like to rightly handle the word of truth. Now, about four years ago, almost to the date, November 18th, 2016, I posted something on Facebook that, to me, uh, was very uncontroversial. It was, very, it was a pretty much a standard, just sort of concept, almost like Christianity 101, but it appeared that maybe for some it was not. And here's what I posted almost four years ago to the date. I said this, drawing theological conclusions from the Old Testament without filtering through the New Testament, is dangerous. The new makes the old obsolete the new makes the old obsolete. Now, I posted that and just sort of walked away and thought, you know, that's just sort of what I was thinking about, what I was ruminating on. And um, did I, was I surprised by how much controversy this stirred among some people? I pulled one, probably the most intense of all of the comments out to share with you. One person commented this, they'll remain anonymous. They commented this, wow, you are so wrong. You need to get right with God you are teaching a false doctrine and will pay for it unless you repent and turn away from it. It is, uh, If it's obsolete, then why is it still there? You are treading dangerous waters, Ryan Day unbelievable. And all of those uh, sentences are uh, are ended with exclamation points. So this person was pretty passionate about their stance on what I had said and what I had not said. Again, what I said, drawing theological conclusions from the Old Testament without filtering through the New Testament is dangerous. The new makes the old obsolete. Now, what this person who was so intense and many of the other people uh, that commented that were thrown off by that statement, what they didn't realize is that I was just really sort of Uh, Processing and thinking through the Bible. Matter of fact, I was processing and thinking through, in particular, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, which says this. In speaking of the new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So I had been reading uh, Hebrews, and I was thinking upon this scripture in particular when I uh, wrote that post, this scripture where the writer of Hebrews, um, many people believe that it was the Apostle Paul, but there's not real concrete like uh, uh, consensus on who wrote the book of Hebrews. But whoever wrote the book of Hebrews was a scholar when it comes to old and new covenant. Um, That's why a lot of people believe that it was Paul. And uh, some would say that next to Romans, Hebrews is one of the most important uh, books of the New Testament because of how well it clarifies, defines, um, and explains uh, who we are in Christ and the new covenant that we have in him. And so these folks who came after me, they were really upset because I said the new makes the old obsolete. Now I can understand. I didn't say that the new covenant makes the old co- covenant obsolete. It sort of makes it sound like I'm saying that the old testament. Testament is not worth anything. We might as well throw it out, although that's not what I said. I could see where they thought that that's what I said. But really what was happening is I was thinking to myself about the Old and the New Covenants and how the Hebrews writer makes this declaration that the New Covenant makes the Old Covenant obsolete. So today I want to talk about the New and the Old Covenants and get a little bit of understanding of how the two function together. In order to do that, we have to recognize that the Bible is written in two major sections. We've talked about this. There is the Old Testament, right? And then there is the New Testament. 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, 66 books altogether. And the Old Testament and the New Testament sort of delineate, if you will, between the Old and the New Covenant. So let's look at that. Old Testament or Old Covenants. Now, some would say that there were five um, covenants in the Old Testament. Um, the Adamic Covenant, which was Genesis 1 and 2, where God uh, blesses Adam, tells him, commands him to be fruitful and multiply. The Noahic Covenant in Genesis 8 and 9, where after God had front of the earth, he makes a covenant with Noah that he will never do that again. And that's symbolized with the rainbow. Uh, the Abrahamic Covenant in Genesis chapter 15, where God tells Abraham to go out and count the stars that his disciples will be, will outnumber the stars, Um, the Mosaic covenant in Exodus chapter 19 verses through chapter 24, 19 through chapter 24, where God delivers the children of Israel out of Egypt, takes him to Mount Sinai, and on Mount Sinai, God begins to deliver to Moses what we know as the Mosaic covenant or the or the law. And then lastly, the Davidic covenant of the Old Testament where God establishes that that David's lineage will, uh, will always be, that there, there'll be no end to his lineage, ultimately saying that Christ will come through the lineage of David. So those are sort of the covenants of the Old Testament. Now, the entire Old Testament is the essence of life under the Old Covenant. So, like when I made that statement about drawing theological conclusions conclusions from the Old Testament without filtering through the New Testament is dangerous. The new makes the old obsolete. I'm sort of using interchangeably Old Covenant Old Testament, New Covenant, New Testament. And the reason why I'm doing that is because in my view, the way that I see this is that the entire Old Testament really is the essence of life under the Old Covenant, or the Old Covenants, if you will. Um, And so the Old Testament shows us Israel's struggle to maintain covenant with God. And also it it shows us God's covenant-keeping faithfulness to Israel. Okay, so the use in studying of the now obsolete Old Testament, or the Old Covenant... Like notice I never said we should throw it away we shouldn't study it we should it, we should eliminate it I never said that. So the use in studying the now obsolete Old Testament or Old Covenant is to understand the context of Scripture, the purpose and the nature of God, the story of the kingdom of God. And also we study it because it it reveals to us the necessity of the New Covenant, which comes forth in the New Testament. So all of the Old Testament is pointing ahead to the New Covenant. (coughs) Pardon me. So let's talk about the New Testament, the New Covenant. So the New Testament, the New Covenant, is established in Jesus. Our New Covenant, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Covenant and the establishment of the New and better, the Bible says, Covenant. And so we see the life of Jesus or the new covenant. We can read about how this is breaking forth in uh, all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Remember, all of the prophets were pointing forward to this day when the new covenant would be established in the Messiah, which is Jesus. So we see it in the Gospels. In the Gospels, we read about Jesus's incarnation, the cross, the grave, and the resurrection. We've been talking about this. The cross is the place where the new covenant is released. It is established through the cross. So the Gospels introduces to Jesus, who is the promised one, the incarnation of Jesus, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's important. And the cross or the death of Jesus is the cutting, if you will, of the new covenant. That word covenant, especially in the Old Testament, meant the cutting of And so they would cut covenant. Two would come together and they would cut covenant together, oftentimes through the shedding and commingling of blood. So the cross and Jesus is the cutting, if you will, of the new covenant. And the rest of the New Testament, Acts and all of the books after uh, the book of Acts, is the essence of life under this new covenant. An eternal covenant. I hope that's making sense. Uh, again, today I'm trying to provide for you some practical tools on how to understand the Bible, how to read the Bible correctly, how to have a good study of God when we approach the Holy Scriptures. So the cross of the death of Jesus is the cutting of the new covenant, and the rest of the New Testament is the essence of life under this new and eternal covenant, the new covenant established in the blood of Jesus this is why we sing the songs, Oh the blood of Jesus. Um, we sing songs as the cross has made away. These kind of ideas, Oh the wonderful cross. The cross is only wonderful because it was through the cross that the new covenant was established in the blood, the death and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So let's take Hebrews 8:13 and read it in some of its context. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13 of Hebrews 8. I think I said Hebrews 18. I meant Hebrews 8. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. And I want to give you some homework here. I want you to go and I want you to read Hebrews chapter 7 all the way through chapter 10. Read Hebrews chapter 7 all the way through chapter 10 to get a real robust understanding of the context of Hebrews 8.13, where the writer declares that the the new covenant makes the first old covenant obsolete. So, But let's read uh, 8 verses 1 through 13. It says this, now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. Since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Now, listen, here's where it starts to get really interesting. But as it is, verse 6 Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old um, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second covenant or a better covenant established on better promises. I hope you're following this. Verse 8, for he finds fault with them when he says, now the Hebrews writer is going to quote Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 31 through 34. Here's what he says, quoting Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. and I will remember their sins no more. The Hebrew writer comes back around after quoting Jeremiah, and we find ourselves in verse 13 when he says, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So here we see this juxtaposition in Hebrews 8 between the old covenant and the new covenant he's referencing the old covenant from Jeremiah, where Jeremiah declares that God is going to establish a new covenant and that the new covenant will not be like the covenant that was established after Egypt, after Israel came out of Egypt and uh, God met with Moses on Mount Sinai in the desert. He says, no, this is going to be a new covenant, a better covenant, a different covenant. And this is why the he- Hebrews writer says, listen, that the new makes the old obsolete. And this is also why I said that it is so important that when we are drawing our theological conclusions, we we are saying, look, the Bible says thus and so. And we're saying this is a way we should live. This is a theological understanding that we should have. Anything that we're drawing out of the Old Covenant or the Old Testament needs to be filtered through the New Covenant and the New Testament. Now, catch this. In this text that we read, some, some things that are juxtaposed here between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant, God said, if you, go read it back in Exodus, if you, right, I said Exodus 19 chapters 19 through 24, if you will do this, if you will do that, if you will do this. It was very conditional. The if there is a very conditional word, and the entire Old Covenant was conditioned upon what the children of Israel did, if they will do these things. The New Covenant, however, that we hear from Jeremiah, God is saying, no, I will. I will write my law upon their heart. I will be their God, uh, and they shall be my people. So the the condition of the old co- uh, old covenant is replaced by God's will in the new covenant, that God is working the new covenant himself. And it's not conditional upon our ability to do or to will things. It is all conditioned upon his faithfulness, his goodness. The old covenant was a covenant of covering that every year they would have to come together uh, regularly. They'd have to come together and make offerings and sacrifices for the sins to cover their sins. The new covenant is a covenant of cleansing. He says, I will forgive their iniquities and I will remember. Remember them no more, meaning they are fully cleansed from their sins and their iniquities. So it's a, it's not a covering covenant. The old covered; the new cleanses completely. The old covenant was a covenant of external ideas. There was the, the ways in which they should live: do this, don't do that. Um, certain ethics and codes that they followed under the old covenant. Uh, the, a matter of fact, just the, the ten commandments were written in stone, like an external, um, uh, stone covenant and commandment. Whereas the new covenant is internal. God's saying, look, I'm not gonna write the commands any longer on tablets of stone. No, I'm gonna write them on your heart. I'm gonna, I'm gonna establish in your heart in a very intimate way the ways of the kingdom of God. And in these two juxtapositions, this is probably one that makes it the uh the new covenant much, much better, is that the old covenant is temporal. It was it was temporary. Matter of fact, he says, Listen. Uh, if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So the first one was temporary. Why? Because there were faults in that first covenant. Not faults in God's side of the covenant. Faults in the fact that the children of Israel, the people of God, could not keep the covenant. They failed regularly to keep the covenant. And so it was temporary. Whereas the new covenant in Christ Jesus is eternal, forever sealed in the blood of Of Jesus. It's a good place to say amen. So, When we're reading the Bible, again, very practically, it is important that we understand that the cross is the filter between the old and the new covenant. So the new covenant doesn't start in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, per se. The new covenant is established at the cross. The cross was the place where the new covenant was established in the blood of Jesus. Uh, On the night Jesus was betrayed, just before he went to the cross, he took the cup that was there, the cup of wine and he began to share, he was he was prophesying to the disciples there that this is the cup of the new covenant sealed in my blood. He was telling them that he was getting ready to die a sacrificial death and that the blood that he would shed would establish for them a new covenant. So the cross is the filter for all things theological, to all the ways that we should think about the entire canon of Scripture. And uh, let me remind you, the Old Testament is canon. It is God-inspired Scripture. But we read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament, in particular through the cross. And here's what happens when we apply the cross to the Old Testament to the Old Covenant, one of three things will happen. As we're working through and studying scripture and we apply the cross, what does the cross have to say about this thing that I'm reading? One of three three things will happen. It will either uh, remain unchanged. So what I read in the Old Testament remains the same. It remains unchanged. It will be modified. So perhaps what I'm reading in the Old Testament through the cross now becomes uh, modified. Or lastly, it becomes, um, (coughs) pardon me, eliminated altogether. So there's a possibility that there are things that were written in the Old Testament that when it comes through the cross into the new covenant, it is eliminated altogether, meaning that it is not anything that we uh, need to uh, adhere to. Now, a lot of times, Many of us are doing this without even recognizing that we're doing that. Uh, We'll use the phrase without recognizing that that was then and this is now. So, for instance, most of you are not living by any sort of prohibitions on eating pork, per se, or prohibitions on what sort of material your clothing is made out of. Because you would be like, oh, that's silly. That was then, this is now. (coughs) Well, that was the old covenant. That was the law that they followed. (coughs) Pardon me. Sorry. And so you have already sort of filtered through, but maybe not recognized that it was the cross that shifted those things. So the cross is the filter and the cross will either leave it unchanged, modify it or eliminate it altogether. Now, real quick, practically, let's look at just one thing in particular uh, from the Old Testament and see what the cross does to this one thing. And since Hebrews chapter 8, and actually a lot of that, uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 8 or 7 through uh, 10 is about temple worship, let's just talk about temple worship briefly. And we could talk about the 10 commandments. Uh, nine of the 10 commandments remain absolutely unchanged. Thou shalt not murder unchanged. When you filter it through the cross, it's still the same commandment. Thou shalt not covet, uh, honor your father and mother. You shall have only one Lord uh, or one God that should not make any graven idols. All of those things remain unchanged. Only one thing is modified in all of the Ten Commandments. And the modification comes to the commandment of keeping the Sabbath holy. Because the Sabbath in the Old Covenant was a particular day The Sabbath under the new covenant is Jesus himself. He has become our Sabbath rest. And so it's modified a little bit. Um, Passover. You could look at the Passover meal or the, or, or the celebration of Passover. It, it's another thing that is modified. In the Old Testament, it was the celebration of Passover when the night uh, that the children of Israel were delivered from Egypt. They, they applied the blood of the lamb to the doorpost. And when the, um, when the death angel came into Egypt, it passed over uh, any home that had applied the blood, and therefore their children were saved from the death angel. And as we get into the New Testament, no longer are we celebrating the Passover celebration in the sense of the blood of lambs and goats and bulls on the doorframe of our home. But now we celebrate the uh, Jesus Christ and the Lord's Supper and the application of the blood of Jesus upon our lives, which saves us from our sins. So it's modified from the old into the new. But let's look at temple worship. We can't look at everything. We could spend hours literally breaking this down. So I'm giving you sort of an overview, if you will. But temple worship, when we come and filter temple worship through the cross, what remains unchanged in regards to temple worship? One is this, God's desire to tabernacle with his people. It's unchanged. God still desires to dwell with his people. Matter of fact, the reason why Jesus became God with us, he put on flesh, was so that we could have unhindered fellowship with God once again, that God would not just be among us, but that God would actually dwell in us. So unchanged is the fact that God desires to tabernacle among us. Oh, the wonder of a God who longs to dwell with his people, right? Another thing that remains unchanged is God's covenant faithfulness. From the Old Testament uh, temple worship all the way through the cross into the New Testament, we recognize that God's covenant faithfulness remains unchanged. He is a keeper of the covenant. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, what is modified? When we run temple worship through the cross, what is modified? Well, the high priest and priesthood has become modified. In the old covenant, the high priest was Aaron, he was the beginning, the first high priest. We come through the cross, and the new high priest that we have is Jesus. Hebrews chapter 7 tells us from the order of uh, Melchizedek, uh, the high priest, the king of Salem, who has no father, no beginning, no end. So Jesus now is the high priest. And who is the priesthood? Well, in the Old Testament, the priesthood was the Levites and only the Levites. But through the cross into the New Testament, the scriptures tell us that we all, That all believers now are a royal priesthood, that we all have the responsibility to attend to the things of God within um, this life that God has called us to, the kingdom of God. And so that remains, or that is modified from Aaron and the Levites to now Jesus, our high priest, and all believers, a part of the royal priesthood. What else is modified? Access to God's presence is modified. In the Old Testament, it was simply the Jews who had access to God's presence or who had established under that covenant. And so the high priest would go in to the most holy place and make sacrifice for all of the children of Israel, but it was the children of Israel who had access. And relationship with God in the Old Testament. And we come through the cross, and what happens at the cross is now Jews and Gentiles alike have access to God's presence. Matter of fact, Paul tells us in, in a Galatians that now in Christ there's no longer Jew or Gentile. I Meaning every single one of us have become one in Jesus. We all have equal access now to God's presence. So it was modified through the cross. And what was eliminated through the cross? What do we see in temple worship that was eliminated once the cross was established and the new covenant was established? Well, the first thing and probably the biggest thing that was eliminated in temple worship was the sacrificial system. The annual or continual sacrifice of bulls and goats and lambs or any, whatever the animals, doves, whatever the animals were that they would sacrifice, that entire sacrificial system was done away with. The scripture says that Jesus became the final sacrifice, that there are no longer a need for us to give any more sacrifices. There's no longer a need for any more blood to be spilled from animals, goats or anything like that, because Jesus is our people pure and spotless lamb who was sacrificed once and for all became the propitiation for our sins, the scripture declares. And there's no longer a need for any more sacrifice. The sacrificial system has been eliminated and wiped away. The other thing that has been eliminated or one of the other things that has been eliminated from the old temple worship is the physical central temple. Now, we are the temple of God. All of us are a part of the body of Christ. We as individuals are temples, but we are living stones that are being uh, assembled as the people of God, the temple of God, that God now dwells in us, not in temples and tabernacles made by the hands of men, but in these very image bearers of God is where God dwells. And so the old physical sense temple has been eliminated now. And all around the world, people just like you and me are worshiping Jesus and are also a part of the tabernacle, the temple of the living God. So I'm saying all of this to say, our understanding of scripture must begin and end in Jesus, in the new covenant, which was established at the cross. And so when we read the Old Testament, we're reading it through, we need to filter it through the New Testament. Because drawing theological conclusions from the Old Testament without filtering through the New Testament is dangerous. Because the new covenant makes the old covenant obsolete. I hope that is helpful. Let me pray over you. God, we thank you for this scripture. We thank you for both the old and the new covenant that they are working together to reveal to us the light that we have in Jesus. Help us to understand this uh, new covenant. Help us to understand the cross and the blood that was shed, the death and resurrection of Jesus that provides for us a new and better, more sure covenant in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, normally what I would do here is I would pray a blessing over you, but before I pray this, or I'm not going to pray this blessing over you like I normally do, but this week is Thanksgiving week, and it's going to be a difficult Thanksgiving for many. I know for me, it will be my very first Thanksgiving where my mother will not be with us here on the earth, and I know many of you are experiencing similar losses in your life. Not only that, with the uh, pandemic and the current restrictions, they are restricting how many people can gather together from how many households and whatever you feel about that uh, politically, it doesn't really matter. I just know that it's weighing on all of us equally um, in different ways, but it's, it's a weight for all of us to bear. And so... In my life group this last week, we talked about a uh, talk that Andy Stanley had with Sarah B. Anderson, who recently wrote the book, The Space Between Us. She comes from a very political family and grew up in politics. Um, and in that, at the end of her book, she has a prayer that she wrote called Thanksgiving Liturgy. And I want to just read that prayer, this Thanksgiving Liturgy over you. Pray it over you as we prepare for this Thanksgiving week. It says this, for family near and here, Lord, we give thanks. For family far and gone, Lord, we give thanks. For the ones easy to love, Lord, we give thanks. For the ones we fight to love, Lord, we give thanks. For people who see as we see, Lord, we give thanks. For people who don't understand, Lord, we give we give thanks. For people who don't understand us, Lord, we give thanks. For easy conversation and expressed affection, Lord, we give thanks. For gentle discord within our discourse, Lord, we give thanks. For unity, not sameness, Lord, we give thanks. For charity and all things, Lord, we give thanks. For a world that reflects your goodness, Lord, we give thanks for humankind that bears your image. Lord, we give thanks for a day when we'll delight in our differences and not just tolerate them, for a gathering of every tribe and every tongue, for a table and a feast today, anticipating the one we'll someday enjoy with you. Lord, we give thanks. Amen. God bless you. Have a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make Him known. If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.